Welcome to Safa Security Chat Chat, episode 195 for the 21st of April, 2015. I'm Chester Wisniewski here from RSA Conference in San Francisco, chatting with Paul Duckman. Hello, Chester. It sounds pretty busy in the background there. It is. The conference opened a couple of hours ago uh, for all attendees today, and as a result, uh, everyone is flooding the the conference hall here. We're in the North Hall where the sponsors are and giving away some really cool Sophos bags. And for Chet Chat listeners, if you hear this before the week is out and you're at RSA, uh, come by, ask me for some Sophos socks and I can hook you up. And uh, there's been a lot of interest in the talk that you're going to be doing, or one of the talks you're going to be doing on the booth, which has the very dramatic and intriguing sounding title, When Penguins Attack. What's that all about? Yes, when penguins attack, well, it's sort of taking a look at the role that Linux plays in the larger malware ecosystem. You know, similar to Mac malware, there is such a thing as Linux malware. But what we find is that, of course, Linux plays a much more important role in disseminating Windows malware and perpetuating phishing scams and all this kind of stuff. So I did some research into how big is that role and what does it appear is leading up to Linux uh, being chosen for that role. Well, I guess one of the reasons is in the server world, Linux is, if you like, the dominant platform. So if you're a cyber crook, you'd be silly not to learn how to exploit it because there are a lot of potential platforms out there to serve your next wave of malware. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, my research shows that Linux actually is much more likely to host malware. But aside from that, I'll, I'll, I'll leave the details uh, for folks that are able to attend the presentations and uh, also, if people are attending B-Sides Boston uh, in a little over a week's time, uh, in early May, uh, I'll be presenting a more detailed version of the talk there. I guess that brings me to the next question I wanted to ask you before we got back to sort of normal chat chat proceedings. I mean, you're at RSA. As listeners can hear, you're on the booth. It's very busy. Now, in past years, for example, when I've attended RSA, there's always been a theme words that you find on the website like cryptography or cloud or big data or something. This year I went looking on the website and all of the banner ads don't have any theme words in. Is that because the conference is much more general or that they didn't want to commit to a theme because no one knew what to focus on? Yeah, I think I actually have to go with the latter a little bit. I mean, there's so many important things happening in security that I think there's sort of acknowledgement that no one of them trumps all the others. Uh, a lot of organizations here talking about how to leverage the cloud to deliver more timely security and services. Lots of organizations talking about next generation endpoint. But I think maybe there's a maturity level finally being achieved at RSA, which is to say it's not that network is going to solve your problems or that an endpoint is going to solve your problems. They need to be used in conjunction and intelligently together to achieve a greater level of security as a whole. We've sort of known that since the, the bad old days when most malware was of the virus sort, haven't we? Where you used to see organizations where there was an endpoint or a desktop team and a server team that insist on organizing two separate cleanups and then wondering why they kept reinfecting each other uh, and eventually realizing, well, actually, if you do this in a joined up way, then it's much easier to quash the threat than if each part of the organization tries to stand alone. Now, moving along, we have another Google bug that's similar to a previous YouTube one and then one before that at Facebook, where simply taking part of an authorization token 
and uh, manipulating its contents to perhaps refer to something it's not intended to refer to is enough to trick YouTube into uh, posting a comment in the wrong place. Now, this is, it just feels like it's a bit of a continuation of the previous ones. It sounds a little less damaging than the one uh, two chat chats ago that we talked about where you could delete any YouTube video you wanted. But it, it sounds like kind of a same root kind of problem. I mean, why are we suddenly discovering all these flaws in these massive software platforms that you'd think uh, we might have already found all the bugs? What's really interesting, what, what caught my eye about this particular bug is that the guys who found it actually said that they decided that a good place to start might be the road less traveled. So what they did is they looked at YouTube and they figured, well, where's, a, where's an aspect of the whole user interface that most people don't use? Because maybe it's had less testing. And so they, they started using a, a feature in YouTube called hold all comments for review. But most people don't run their YouTube channels that way because they want the comments because it, you know, it drives views and it drives ad revenue. So these guys guessed that this might be more likely to have one of these authentication token bugs. Turned out they were right. But actually the problem here is you can basically borrow somebody else's comment and stitch any number of other comments onto your video. So in the Google ecosystem, that could give you quite a dishonest boost in ad revenue if you go and pick some celebrity comments, clone them onto your video. So quite a subtle bug, but an interesting one. And proof if you're a web developer that all paths through your back-end code are important, not just the popular ones. If you don't try them all, somebody else will. Um, you know, knowing that only one person has gone looking for something and actually found it instead of you or your QA team um, might present a much greater risk to your organization than you have imagined. Now, on HTTPS, which has been more and more of a topic, I mean, we talk about it quite frequently, both sometimes about failure, but also about its importance. The U.S. government uh, seems to be making a move. The chief information officer of the U.S. government, in fact, has stated that uh, they want to move towards sort of a, an all-HTTPS ecosystem for government websites, which I just have to think is a good thing all the way around. I'm a fan of using HTTPS everywhere, as the EFF likes to say. But uh, one of the findings in the Naked Security article here was talking a bit about kind of the priorities and how how the whistleblower websites provided by the U.S. government seem to be unprotected and perhaps need to be a very high priority. Yes, I guess what the CIO is sort of implying is that although over the next couple of years they want to see all U.S. government sites using HTTPS, there are obviously some that might reasonably be expected to get there a lot faster than other people, like, say, the Department of Homeland Security and so on. So there was a list of some uh, 29 sites or so that they felt was, you know, these ones really should be there already. I was very, very pleasantly surprised to find that there is this project. It's not being done in, in an aggressive and thou shalt do this immediately way. It's being done, being done in a very, very persuasive way that's trying to bring people along to the idea that if you treat all browsing as sensitive, then you don't have to worry whether you've picked the right ones to encrypt. Yeah, I really like that message in that you know, I've had a few conversations here at RSA today, and one of the guys was talking about trying to protect certain kinds of email. And I'm like, well, it's easier if you protect all of it, really, because people don't always remember that this is the time that you should be doing this. And, oh, I forgot to click the button and I sent all those Social Security numbers somewhere. It's kind of better to just ensure that you're never sending Social Security numbers or that 
they're always encrypted, and one of those two things will protect you. Yes. In fact, if you don't mind, I'm going to read out one sentence off that HTTPS-only standard site from CIO.gov, because I think it says it beautifully. It says, an HTTPS-only standard will eliminate inconsistent subjective decision-making regarding which content or browsing activity is sensitive in nature and will create a stronger privacy standard government-wide. Hear, hear. Yeah, now if they could get Fort Meade on board, it's always interesting to see how the United States in, you know, with one arm is pushing standards forward regarding consumer protection, privacy, and security while very much directly competing with other parts of the U.S. government who are struggling with how to peel away some of that security in order to fulfill their mission to the government. So I guess we'll probably continue to see this battle go, uh, go on. I'm sure we will. Lastly, we're going to talk a little bit about a new piece of malware that's sort of interesting because it's dependent on the modernization of our computing environments. Uh, the Diresa malware, <laughs> yes. I may not be saying that correctly, but um, you know, we ran into these samples and found it very interesting that they, they look to see if the computer they're operating on has only one CPU core because if it does, it's likely perhaps that it's a computer security researcher running a virtual machine because no real human being would have a computer with only one CPU core uh, in an age where the new Samsung phone has eight. Yes, plus a couple of spare ones for graphics and audio and so forth. Obviously, with malware, the old days, malware would say, oh, I'm inside a virtual machine, I won't run at all. And of course, that meant that it's cutting itself off from all sorts of uh, server platforms, and it's perhaps cutting itself off from running inside VMs that are run in hosting services and so on. So this was a cunning way. Instead of actually looking to see whether you're virtualizing, it just looks to see whether you're either a super old computer that it probably doesn't care about, maybe doesn't even support, or if you're perhaps some researcher's uh, sandbox or uh, malware analysis system. So I guess lots of researchers are suddenly saying, hey, let's have two CPUs uh, in all our virtual machines. Uh, <laughs> I decided that this was a chance for some amusing research of my own, and I discovered that in VirtualBox, Oracle VirtualBox, you can actually have a Quinn core uh, computer. You can have five CPUs. So I, I ran a five CPU Windows 10 computer for a bit. It was very, very exciting, Chester, for several seconds. <laughs> so I, I imagine we're going to have more coverage here from RSA as the week unfolds, and so I encourage everybody to keep their podcast player up to date. We're going to do our best to bring you some more news. And on that note, I'm going to wrap up Self Security Chat Chat 195. As always, the latest security news is over at nakedsecurity.sophos.com, or you can follow our Twitter feed at sophos underscore news for RSA's stories as well. And uh, our podcasts are available on RSS over at iTunes or on the TuneIn app and at soundcloud.com slash Security. Until next time, stay secure. <laughs>